Wow, welcome. Long time ago at creation, God said, let there be light. And there was. And uh, they put some light on here. That's good. That's, that's great. Well, I found out something today, and I'm learning new things along the way since I've come on uh, with Calvary Church. And one of those things I'm learning every day is still how to use the computer system. You know, I'm not totally computer illiterate, but, uh, you know, there's just some of this Outlook stuff and these calendars and everything that I've never used before. But uh, learning that. And then I learned today that on Wednesday night, if you're teaching on Wednesday night, that you need to have your outline or your handout and PowerPoint's done by 12 o'clock. <clears throat> I'm going to tell them myself. I was still working on some things at 5 o'clock. <laughs> Support staff left at 4.30. So uh, I went ahead and made copies of my little uh, handout there, you know, and sliced them myself and everything. And I heard somebody say something about 50. So I think that's about what we made, but <clears throat> hopefully you've got one. If not, maybe you can share with your neighbor uh, or whatever there. But uh, would you pray for me? Because <laughs> I'm learning some stuff. It's, it's fast-paced too, you know. It's, it's fast-paced uh, operation, fast-paced church. But that's good. I like that. Um, there's never a dull moment, is there, Pastor Paul? <laughs> if you have your Bibles, and I'm sorry again that we don't have anything on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I believe Pastor Paul read this last Wednesday night as well, but this is just really a good text I think we need to probably look at every time that we're teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now we're going to be talking specifically about the gift of prophecy tonight. But before I get to that particular part, I think there's some things that I need to share with you, first of all, that the Lord had laid on my heart when I was preparing this today. And let's start reading at verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I'm reading from the New King James Version tonight. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant it just simply means don't want you to be unlearned. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, or for the profit of everybody. For to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge. Pastor Paul taught on those last Wednesday night. Through the same Spirit. 
Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues. And as I'm reading this, remember every, every time I say another, where the Bible says another, it's talking about to another person, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And you notice that He is capital H, which means the Holy Spirit. They're distributed to the members of the body of Christ, the Spirit-filled members of the body of Christ, individually, as he wills it. Okay, so that means that if we're a spirit-filled individual, if we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not up to us as to which gift God will give us or which gift he may allow us to operate in. Now, some individuals in, in the church and Pentecostalism specifically because Pentecostals, Charismatics, uh, believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Many other denominations and churches do not believe that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit or they believe it was for the book of Acts, for the apostles in their day and when John died that, uh, that the gifts passed away with his, his, his death. But there's no amen at the end of the book of Acts. And, and it's really not so much the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. And it was to continue, the Holy Spirit was to continue to work in the church right up until, time, until the time that Jesus takes us home. And so uh, what we need to remember is that there are some people, though, that, that are Spirit-filled, that they may, by God, by the Holy Spirit, have been given two or three gifts that they flow and operate in. I know people, I've grown up in Pentecost all my life, and I've known people that's operated in the gifts of uh, healing and miracles and faith. And uh, while they may never have operated much in the gifts of uh, tongues, different kinds of tongues, or interpretation of tongues, or word of prophecy, vice versa, different ones. And I know some people that they've only operated in one gift. But see, it's, it's up to the Holy Spirit as it said there in verse 11, to distribute to each one individually as he wills. And of course, who better but God that knows what he can trust us with, what gift he can uh, allow us to operate in, and where we'll still remain humble, and we will not get prideful, and that we'll not even say that it's necessarily my gift but let's say it's his gift that he has allowed me to move in and to operate in as we stay humble before him. Also, if you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 5, here the Apostle Paul goes on and he elaborates some more and he says about prophecy, and of course he has to include tongues in here as well, but he's talking about prophecy. And in verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may 
prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. I want to stop there just for a minute. Because the word tongue is mentioned in verse 2, throughout this series that we're teaching on Wednesday nights, we've gone through the list, and I've noticed that when it gets to uh, diverse kinds of tongues or different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues, that guess who's up to speak and teach on that one? Yeah, yours truly. And I told Pastor Paul, I told him in our meetings, I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that at all. But uh, he said, you know, who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now look at that in verse 3. He who prophesies speaks edification. Okay, edification means to build up. So when somebody prophesies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's all one, one uh, part of this prophesying is to edify, to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Then it says it's also used for exhortation. Okay, and in exhorting, okay, in, in exhorting someone, how many, how many of you got kids? How many remember when they were younger and you had to exhort them? That's just another way of saying you had to get on them. You had to tell them a few things. You had to straighten them out here or there or get them in the right uh, path and the right direction, you know, and whatnot. And I had a, a godly mother, bless her heart, and a godly father both. I was very fortunate to be raised in a Christian home and had praying parents. There was a few times I had to be exhorted by my mother. And she didn't just use words. She used a razor strap. Yeah, now we live in a day where it's like, oh, you, you shouldn't spank your kids. You know, just sit them down, have a good talk with them, and everything will be all right. Well, I still think that uh, the Bible is true when it says if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. There's a lot of spoiled kids running around America and around the world today. That perhaps, just perhaps, if they had godly parents, that would have been the first thing. And then if they would have got the, uh, the uh, belt of correction on their seat of understanding a few times, maybe they wouldn't be ornery as they are, you know. But uh, so when the Holy Spirit uses someone, he gives them that gift of prophecy, it's to edify, but it's also to exhort. And in that exhortation, it can be a warning to the church. And then the last one says, and to comfort, to comfort men. So the Holy Spirit through the gift of prophecy will comfort us. Oh, we all like to be comforted. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be comforted. And that just goes even along with who the Holy Spirit is because Jesus said he was going to go back to the Father and he was going to pray that he would send another comforter. Because Jesus could only be in one place at one time 2,000 years ago. And he knew that when he ascended back to the Heavenly Father, the church work had to go on and his work had to continue. People still needed to be healed and delivered and set free and, and raised from the dead and, and blind eyes open and deaf ears uh, unstopped. And so for that work to go on in the church, he had to send 
the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll send you another comforter. Now, this comforter is not of a different sort, but this comforter is of the same sort. Now, what I mean by that, he's God. He's not an it. He is a he. Amen? And you feel his presence, or you should. I mean, I know when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at the age of 16, I felt something all over me. And, of course, I did speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance as an initial evidence of the Holy Spirit coming in, and it's a universal worldwide evidence, uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about that later on. But um, he goes on to say, in verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Then Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Now, I'm glad there's not a period there, because that wouldn't sound too good. That he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. But in my Bible, probably in yours, it's got a comma. And it says, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So just, just a real quick side note, that when a person speaks in an unknown tongue, and it's a message to the church. I'm not talking about a devotional tongue when you're by yourself and you're praising the Lord. Or you might be in the congregation praising the Lord on a Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you start speaking in tongues, not real loud, but just a devotional tongue. See, that's where you're, you're speaking to God and it's a mystery. But I'm talking about whenever someone actually gives a message out loud in tongues to the church and if the music's playing and that person speaks out, it's very, very forceful. There's unction behind it. And the volume of that person's voice supersedes everything else. And the, and the people quit singing. The piano quits, uh, uh, you know, everything just comes down. The message comes forth. Now, when the interpretation comes, and you should pray that there's an interpretation, when that interpretation comes from the Holy Spirit, then it becomes equal to prophecy. It says right there in your, in your Bible that uh, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. So then, the interpretation of tongues becomes equal with prophecy because that's what it really is. It's a prophetic word, a prophetic utterance after the initial tongues that nobody can understand, but it's a direct language to God and God is giving that to the church and then we pray that someone interprets and the interpretation comes and it does one of those three things that we just mentioned the prophecy does itself now I believe to better understand these nine gifts of the spirit it's good to notice how they can be categorized as such and I think I put this in your handout uh, Roman numeral number one uh, gifts of revelation which can also be considered mind gifts like Pastor Paul taught on uh, last Wednesday night word of wisdom Word of knowledge, that deals with the Spirit of God touching our mind and giving us wisdom and giving us knowledge. And he's going to also be teaching later on about discerning of spirits. Secondly, we have the power gifts or gifts of power, or working gifts as they might be called, which are the gifts of faith, the gift of healing, working of miracles. And then thirdly, the gifts of inspiration or the vocal gifts, which we're dealing with prophecy tonight. And then we'll be talking later on about different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. 
Two things happened as a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. The first thing that happened was the church was born. The church was formed, and it was birthed on the day of Penta, 50, Penta, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had rose. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, there's just numbers in the Bible that are so significant, and they're used many different times for different things. And then when he got ready to send it back to the Father, he told his disciples, his followers, he said, go into Jerusalem and to the upper room and wait there, tarry there, till you be endued with power from on high. And uh, there were some 500 odd, some odd believers that heard him give that command. It wasn't, would you go tarry? He said, go tarry. And so the Bible says about 120 obeyed. I wonder what happened to the 380. Some of them may have had to go to Walmart. You know, some of them might have had to work, you know. Some of them might have had to go fishing or camping or whatever, you know. But there was about 380, see, that could have joined them, so there could have been about 500 uh, in, in the upper room instead of about 120. But, you know, it really didn't matter, does it? Because God's always used a small number. He started out with 12 and turned the world upside down, you know. I actually like to say he turned the world right side up. It was already upside down. Our world is still upside down, isn't it? And so the church of the Lord Jesus Christ all over the world needs to really get active with the time we have left to get the world turned right side up, you know? At least see people's lives turned right side up. How many is here that you've been turned right side up? You were really upside down. You were a mess, I mean. God, God, God got in the middle of your mess and turned you right side up. Amen. Praise God. Give him praise for that. So first, the church was born. Secondly, each one of those waiting for the promise of the Father, though they didn't know what it was going to be, they were just waiting for the promise of the Father. They were being obedient to the command in the upper room. They were filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. To this emerging church, the indwelling Spirit would be recognized as the chief administrator of its growth, expansion, and direction. He would be resident in the church, speaking, guiding, and administering the church's work. When Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, the Bible says. His gifts are many, but all are administered through the Spirit. Turn over with, with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, beginning with verse number 12. Jesus speaking says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, notice the capital H each time we read this, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He repeated that twice, that particular statement right there, about how he's going to declare everything that's mine. He's going to declare it to you. Now, ten times in those verses, he 
Actually, nine times he, one time his. But when you talk about his, you're talking about the he that's in this ver these verses. So I just said ten times you have that he represented. Ten times you have the Holy Spirit represented in these verses, do you not? Because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He, when he comes, he's going to do these things. Ten times. I'm a nut for numbers. I'm silly for statistics. I'm, I like statistics. And I know, you see, this Bible was not given to us this way originally. Men divided it up, you know, into chapters and verses and all of that. But you know what? Even when they did that, I believe the Holy Spirit had his hand upon their lives when they did that. Because I can show you some scriptures. I don't have time to do it tonight. But I can show you some scriptures in Revelation. And I can show you some that talk about the, the Trinity. And show you some that talk about the unholy Trinity. And whenever I get to teach on Revelation, I'll share that with you. So you just have to think about I wonder what that is for right now. I've, I've left my people hanging a lot of times out there just wondering, what's he, what's he wanting to talk about? What's he wanting to say? But anyhow, ten times here, he is mentioned. How many days did they tarry in the upper room? Ten days. They tarried ten days for the he that was going to come, for the comfort that was going to come, for the promise of the Father, though they didn't know what that promise was. They didn't know if the promise was going to have a sound or they didn't know cloven tongues of fire was going to happen. They didn't know any of that was going to happen. They were just being obedient and waiting and waiting and praying and praising God and talking among themselves and having fellowship with each other for 10 days. And on the day of Pentecost, he came. And so he still administers the gifts. He still works in the church. Among these divine gifts, there are prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, as it says in Ephesians 4.11. There's helps and governments, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12.28. And what we commonly call the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12.8-10. The Holy Spirit came not only in answer to prayer of Christ. If we look at John uh, chapter 14, verses 16-18, through 18, we see the prayer. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, says comforter in King James, but that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now get that. Just like heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, the power of Pentecost, or the Holy Spirit giftings, they are not for unbelievers. They're not for the world. The only gift God has that's for the unbeliever is salvation. Once the person gets saved, then they can receive all the other blessings and the gifts that God has for them if they will be obedient to his word and follow Jesus, they can receive just what you and I have received. Amen? Because he's no respecter of person. But the only prayer that God is obligated to answer of any unsaved person in the world is the prayer for salvation. Then after they're adopted into the family, they've got the rights of an adopted son or daughter in the family of God. And so the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive it because it neither sees him 
nor knows him. But you know him. There's those capital H's again. Capital H on the word helper in the New King James Version. Talking about the Holy Spirit because he's a person. For he dwells with you, I like this, and will be in you. And he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Aren't you glad that he did? So, the Holy Spirit came also, not just in response to Jesus' prayer, but to also continue the work that he had been doing. And to do it through his church. Now, order and unity are marks of a true New Testament worship service. Order and unity. God gives spiritual gifts through which worship and service are divinely enhanced. How many has ever heard the statement, the anointing makes the difference? Two or three of you. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that statement, the anointing makes the difference. Just a few of you. I'm surprised. Um, how many's heard the, the, the scripture quoted that the anointing destroys the yoke? It does, doesn't it? And the anointing makes the difference in all that we do for the Lord. The anointing makes the difference when the singers get up here and Pastor Dan gets up here. The anointing makes the difference. You can feel the spirit of the Lord as they begin to play and as they begin to lead us into worship and take us up in worship and get us ready to receive the word of God from Pastor Mark or Pastor Paul or whoever might be preaching or teaching. The anointing makes the difference when we teach. The anointing makes the difference when we preach. I would not want to do anything within church life or church work or ministry without the anointing. I know what, I, what it's been like for me when I fell flat and didn't have the anointing that I needed for a certain moment or a certain given time. And then I know what it's been like to really have the anointing because you know what? You can get a stronger anointing the more time you spend with the Lord in prayer. You can get a stronger anointing the more time you spend with the Lord in His Word and understand what His Word is saying to you. You can get a strong anointing come upon your life the more you praise and worship God. And you see, worship and praise is not just supposed to be confined to the church house. Worship and praise is a heart thing, and you ought to worship and praise the Lord on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday so that when you come in here on Sunday, it's easy to press in and worship and praise God. It's a heart thing. It's a lifestyle. It's not just an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Well, praise God, we worship the Lord this week. Did you really? What did you do Monday and Tuesday? You know, I get in my car and I crank up my truck and I crank up the radio. I crank up my music on my phone. And yeah, because we have gone traditional, I've had to start listening again to a lot of hymns and a lot of uh, older choruses, and the Hensons, and the Happy Goodmans, and it's just blessing my heart again to go back to old school, what I grew up with, you know? It's just blessing my heart. And I still listen to the contemporary, and we were doing contemporary music for 16 years before we did this traditional thing. I said, God, what are you doing? I know I'm 61, but that's not really old. <laughs> right? It's not really old, is it? But... <laughs> But I'm enjoying it, and, and I saw the people, you know, at Jefferson Street enjoying it. 
uh, Sunday morning, enjoying the presence of the Lord. Not because I'm some great singer, because my pitch has gone from up here to way down here because of throat problems and, and things of that nature that happened about three years ago. But uh, you know what? I'm just going to give it my best until the Lord takes me home. And when I'm giving it my best and when I'm doing what I want to do for the Lord, I just want His anointing because His anointing will make the difference every time. Amen? So, um, God gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us this anointing in worship and our service to divinely enhance it. Although there are varieties of gifts, their order and unity are preserved in the fact that they all proceed from the same Spirit whose function is to glorify Christ. Now, uncontrolled and unrestricted manifestations of gifts can lead to disorder and disharmony. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, verse 33. It says here, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now here's what we need to remember. For everything that is genuine, there is a counterfeit. I don't have it on me now, but I gave $5 while I go in the offering. That's all I had on me tonight, but I gave $5. It was a real $5 bill. But do you know that there's people out there that are counterfeiting $5 bills? $20 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills. If there wasn't a real, genuine $100 bill, nobody would try to counterfeit it and make it look like they had the real thing and go try to buy something with it. For everything that is real, for everything that is genuine, there's a counterfeit. Almost everything. There is no counterfeit for the love of God. There is no counterfeit for the love of God. And this, this uh, study about the gifts of the Spirit, or when you talk about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal churches and whatnot, yeah, there's been damage done over the years. I've seen it. I've been in the ministry for 35 years, and I've seen it in churches where I went to pastor that uh, what happened before I got there, and, and it was a mess, and, you know, had to go in and teach. Paul faced it, the Apostle Paul. I mean, the church at Corinth was not lacking in spiritual gifts, but they were using them wrong. E even the Lord's Supper was being abused by the church at Corinth. They were coming together and eating the Lord's Supper like they hadn't ate a meal for, for days and were hungry and just, you know, and they weren't reverent. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a sacred thing to them. And of course, there was abuse with tongues. There was abuse with prophecy. That's why the Apostle Paul had to get them straightened out and talk to them and preach to them and teach them. So that's why we need to understand, though there may be, has been abuses, we don't need to say, well, we can't operate in the Holy Spirit anymore. We can't operate in the gifts of the Spirit anymore because of the abuse. No, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's genuine. It's real. He's real. Now, sometimes we preachers will say it, but you understand, we, we really understand we're talking about a he. We're talking about the power of God, and we're talking about the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead. And so we, under, we understand that while there's disorder and disharmony in some places, uh, the Apostle Paul 
gave us some, some answers here, and really the answer to this problem lies within teaching their proper use, the gift's proper use, and also realizing their relation to the fruit of the Spirit. We cannot elevate and exalt spiritual gifts above simple mercy, grace, and love. The distinguishing mark of Christianity is divine love. The gifts do not take preeminence over Christian love, and that's the whole message of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, that the greatest of all of these is what? Love. The ninefold fruit of the Spirit is for character. The nine gifts of the Spirit are for power. Now let me say it again. The ninefold fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, so on and so forth, that's for character. That's what ought to be in every Christian's life when we get born again. Old things pass away, all things become new. People that were not Christians, they were hateful. You might have been that way. But when you got saved, you had the love of God come into your heart and life, and now you can start liking people. You know, people you didn't want to talk to before, now you want to talk to. Love and joy, you know, you walked around like this all the time before you got saved. Jesus came into your heart and life, and he forgave you of all manner of sin, and he wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life. Now you lift your head up, and you got a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Why? Because you've got J-O-Y. You've got joy. Fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Where you've had all kinds of confusion and turmoil in your life, now you've got the peace of God that passes all understanding. So, you know what? We're a book that people read. We're the Jesus that people see sometimes, you know, and well, I knew how he was. I knew how she was before they got saved. But when they got saved, they changed. They did 180 degree. They changed, and now they've got love and joy and peace. In other words, what they were doing is they were examining your character, that your character changed. Well, the gifts of the Spirit are not for character. The fruit of the Spirit is. The gifts of the Spirit in the church are for power. And that's not my word, that's God's word. He said, you, Jesus told him, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You know what they were wanting to know about Pastor Paul? They were wanting to know about prophecy at the time. He said, well, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father's put in his own power. But you shall receive power. Starts with a P, like prophecy. You know, they wanted to know about prophecy. He wanted to know about power. Now, what the kind of prophecy I'm talking about there is end-time prophetic things. That's what they were wanting to know about. He wants them to know about power so they can carry the work of the church forth. And he knew what they were going to be facing. Because he could see into the future and he knew that they were going to die martyrs' death. And the church was going to go through great, great turmoil. You know, in the early days of, of Pentecostalism in America, churches were burned, ministers were uh, egged, and their houses were egged, their families were, were treated terribly in the early days of Pentecost, in the late 1800s, the early 1900s. We're not treated that way anymore, are we? Thank God. But you know, there are people suffering all over the world. Christians who are suffering all over the world. And, and some of them aren't even Pentecostal Christians, but they're just believe, they're believers like we are. But they're Pentecostal Christians that are suffering all over the world as well. But praise the Lord, this is for power. That we can stand, that we can do the work of God, that we can be a good witness. He said, You'll, you shall receive power 
and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Guess where Springfield's at? That's the uttermost part of the earth. This is not Asia Minor. Like back in that day, this is the uttermost part of the earth. Now, prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is a supernatural utterance in the native tongue of that particular group. So let's just say, for instance, I don't know how many there are here tonight, but let's say that the glory of God fell in this house. And some spirit-filled child of God had the moving of the Lord upon them to stand up and give a prophetic word to the body. You wouldn't speak that prophetic word in Japanese or Chinese or Swahili. You would speak it in English because it's in the native tongue of the people of that group that's gathered together where they are. That prophetic word. Now, if we go from here and say we're in uh, visiting a spirit-filled church in Japan and somebody there is moved upon by the Holy Spirit to give a prophetic word, that prophetic word is going to be in Japanese. Okay? So the prophecy, the prophetic word, is always given in the native tongue of the people. And it includes, as we said, edification, exhortation, and comfort. It is more than ordinary preaching. It is immediate revelation by the Spirit, which may relate to either future events or to what is in the mind of the Spirit in general. Secondly, prophecy is truth demanding fulfillment. And history is the proof of prophecy. Now, we've all heard about, in the Old Testament especially, about false prophets, right? Well, do you know there's false prophets today in 2016? There are. There are false prophets in the world today. You've got to be careful as to who you hear and what they're saying because there are false prophets in the world today. But now, even when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you could go all the way back to Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, and here the prophet Joel is prophesying about what was going to come and what came on the day of Pentecost when he said, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. That's me. I'm dreaming dreams now. Your young men shall see visions. Any young men having visions? And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, how do we know that that's what happened on the day of Pentecost? is because when they came down, staggering out of the upper room, and they were all 120 speaking in other languages, but they were languages of the people that were gathered together for the Feast of Pentecost, but they were all, see, it wasn't, it was, because they were all speaking, it wasn't confused, it wasn't confusion, because God is, does everything decently in order. They heard them speaking in all these different languages, but they heard them speaking the same thing. And the same thing was the praises of God. So everybody could understand, and it wasn't confusion at all, even though they were speaking in this language and that language, you know, this language and that language from the part of the, the world they come from to Jerusalem. But there was no confusion in it because God is not the author of confusion. And it was being done according to the way the Lord wanted it done. And he gave them all the same, the same uh, initial evidence, and that was speaking in other tongues they had not learned 
we hear this one speaking in our language. We hear, we hear this one speaking in our language. And they don't know it. They, they're not from our country. That's, that's powerful right there, folks. It's powerful. And we know that this is what Joe was talking about because Peter stood up and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. So this is that. This is he who Joel prophesied of. So prophecy is truth demanding fulfillment, and history is the proof of the prophecy, and that it's genuine. Even if you go back to uh, Matthew um, chapter 1, verse 22. So this all was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So Isaiah was a true prophet. He prophesied. It came to pass, Jesus was born God, Emmanuel, God with us. Last of all, prophecy is the work of truth, the spirit of truth. Prophecy appeals mostly to the emotions, teaching to the intellect. Prophecy sets on fire that which teaching enlightens. In its fullest purity, the gift demands a very high order of fellowship between the vessel and its maker. God is looking for pure hearts, pure vessels. Sons and daughters of God that have a relationship with Him, of course, and He's looking for people like that that he can entrust and fill with his spirit and then use them as he wills with whatever gift that he wills. Would you like to be used of God in some way in the working of the Holy Spirit? This is not something we need to be afraid of. Though, I, as I said, there's been abuse, there's been all kinds of crazy stuff, that doesn't mean it's not still real. He is still real. There's been abuse to salvation and the doctrine of salvation by different groups. But did we throw it away? No. We're here because we're saved, aren't we? There's been abuses to deliverance. But some of you have been delivered from something that had a hold on you in your past life. I see a few hands going up right now. But you were delivered even though there had been abuses to deliverance. You see, that's the way the enemy, he, he, he wants to just cause havoc and he wants to try to cause confusion and he wants to abuse this and abuse that and get people that are, you know, people that's looked up to many times and, and then, then they get off track and they get off focus and they, they abuse this and they abuse that, the things of God, and then people look and say, well, this can't be real. This, this sure isn't right. Well, no, that's not right, but it is real. It is real. The genuine is real. The counterfeit is there. But the genuine is real. I want to read something to you before we close. This goes along with prophecy. 
Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 teaches that the gift of prophecy will pass away when Jesus comes back. The way a dim mirror image will give way to the living face. The gift of prophecy is still valid in the church today. The spiritual gift of prophecy is an extraordinary, supernatural, unique gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, one, to pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This gift is a blessing to the church and should not be quenched or despised, 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Those who have the gift of prophecy differ from the Old Testament prophets who spoke the authoritative word of God directly. Their words were recorded as scripture as they proclaimed, thus says the Lord, whereas the messages from those with the spiritual gift of prophecy must be tested 1 Corinthians 14, 29-33, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-21, 1 John 4, 4, 1-3. In the New Testament, the apostles, not the prophets, took over the role of scriptural proclamation from the Old Testament prophets. The Greek word for the gift of prophecy is prophetia, which is the ability to receive a divinely inspired message and deliver it to others. In the church, these messages can take the form of exhortation, correction, disclosure of secret sins, prediction of future events, comfort, inspiration, or other revelations given to equip and edify the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 14, 3-4, and 24-25. Again, they do not constitute the authoritative word of God, but are the human interpretation of the revelation that re- was received from the Spirit. They are spoken in human words through a human mind, which is why they must be tested against scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-21. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of prophecy to some believers to make God's heart known and to edify the church. This gift is for the benefit of both believers and unbelievers and is a sign that God is truly among his church. Now remember, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you're talking about gifts that he has desired to give to men and women, to the church, to people. Just like Christmas, birthday, rolls around, somebody, you have the ability to go out and get a gift and give it to somebody you love. And usually you want to get something, you know, man, they're really going to like this. I know they're really going to like this. This is going to benefit them in a great way. This is something they've wanted a long time. And you have the ability to give the gift. You're the gift giver. They are the gift receiver. Guess what? He's the gift giver. We're the gift receiver. How many want the gifts of God in your life? You really want the gift? Let's stand and pray together. You know, I remember back a few meetings ago now when Pastor Mark was talking about the next series. Pastor Paul spoke up and said, I think we ought to do a series on the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a reason why in Pastor Paul's heart that the Lord spoke to him and said, I think we need to do a series on the Holy Spirit. God only knows all those reasons. 
But I do know this, myself and all of you, we're reasons why that we need to hear about the Holy Spirit. And why you need to read about the Holy Spirit. Even when it's not being taught or preached, you need to read it. Because the Holy Spirit is involved in everything that's in this book. He's involved in everything that God does. He's involved in everything that Jesus does. But he does not give glory to himself. He does not testify of himself. He testifies and glorifies Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you desire spiritual gifts in your life, that after all these messages on Sunday morning and these teachings on Wednesday night are through, if you desire spiritual gifts to operate in your life and in the body, in the way that God intended them for, to operate. Just raise your hand right now and say, Lord, make me a vessel. You use people, God. I know that you use people. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for people. Lord, these, these gifts are powerful gifts. Oh, how we need the gifts of healing and miracles and faith to operate in our churches. There's so many people that need to be healed. And so many people that need to be uh, set free from something, perhaps, God. And, and, and Lord, you know what we need when we come together. You know the gifts that are needed when we come together. And that's why sometimes there might be this gift in operation in a, in a service, and another time another gift is in operation. Because you are all-knowing, and you know what gift is needed at any given time. And God, these gifts can operate not only in the church, in the body of Christ, but these gifts can operate in our lives on a daily basis as we go about serving you and serving others. You can give us a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or discerning of spirits over a situation or someone as we're going about doing the work of God. And you told us greater things than these shall we do because you had to go into the Father. What greater works can be done than, than you did, Jesus, and you, you raised people from the dead. Are we raising anybody from the dead? Is that, can there be any greater uh, thing take place than resurrection power to come over somebody who has died and then to be raised back to life? Or for the blinded eyes to open or the deaf ears to, to hear or the lame to walk? There's really nothing greater we can do than you did. I believe you meant that greater in scope because you could only be in one place at one time, but when you sent the Holy Spirit, when you were going to send the Comforter, He would be in us and with us and all over the world, and that's why revival breaks out all over the world. That's why people are getting saved all over the world. That's why people are getting healed all over the world. That's why, because the Holy Spirit is everywhere at any given time where the people of God gather together and lift up the name of Jesus. And so we lift up your name tonight, and we say, fill us with your Spirit. Use us in the way that you want to use us. We pray tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.